Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. And we are live with the Naked Parent Podcast. My name is Chad Ratliff. I'm your host, and I'm so grateful to have Brianne Witte here with us today. Hi, Brianne. Hi, how's it going? Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're super grateful that you share your, your story with us and your journey, which helps all of us, you know, become better parents and create more hope and more experience and more all that stuff that we want to have in our lives. So let me start by telling Naked Parent Nation a little bit about you. You are a mother of three. You work from home. Your two oldest are autistic and your youngest is neurotypical. Your oldest is trans and your middle son has Chiari malformation and tethered cord you are neurodiverse and to have kiori malformation and eds your partner runs a nonprofit for foster kids which is so cool yeah and welcome and maybe tell us explain some of those things that i didn't explain so well all of the words yeah hi everybody how's it going so yes my older two are autistic my oldest is trans and it's so funny in the the more i learn about like autism stuff the more common i see for autistic people to be more gender fluid and that's exactly the story of my oldest and on top of that they also have a lot of other underlying mental health issues and the older they get the more profound that gets on top of the autism and everything else my middle son also is autistic and he has Chiari malformation as so do I. It's a, they're just finally finding the genetic link, but essentially the cerebellum tonsils are, our brains falling out of the back of our head. It's a malformation of the skull, which leads to the cerebellum tonsils, which is the little loop-de-loop part of of your brain is herniated, it's falling out. And so it presses on the brainstem. It can cause a wide variety of symptoms And he also has tethered cords. So it's another anomaly that kind of happens all at the same time. He had surgery for his tethered cord when he was five. I had brain surgery for my Chiari when I was 36. He has not gone under that surgery yet, but it very much, it really limits his activity level, increases his pain level, his cognitive functions, his dexterity, his flexibility. It it affects a whole lot of stuff on top of just navigating the neurotypical world with an atypical mind. And my youngest is seven. And as far as we know, he's our, the only neurotypical person in our house. He's the odd man house, odd man out. We have a very colorful home. And it's just been recently, he's seven and my middle son is 10 and they are the best of friends. And it's always been super cool to watch this neurotypical kid literally grow up in an autistic world you know like his brother like let him in to these imagination things i had to get him into speech therapy because he learned how to talk from his his older brother with his like you know funny cadences and, and stuff like that um and it's just been in the past year or so that i've really 
had to focus on making sure that he is living as a fulfilled life as he can because we are very routine in our house, you know, like going out and spontaneously doing things doesn't happen because it's very much been catered around preventing overstimulation and burnout and my other children's like mental health and just the smoothness of our house. So it's very routine. And in the past six or seven months, I'm really seeing his need to not be super routine and to be around maybe more neurotypical people. And on the flip side, I feel like this kid is growing up with such an amazing view of autism. You know, like he is, he's got, he knows that his older siblings are autistic. He has a really great understanding, but he also knows it as normal too, which is really cool. That is so cool. That's kind of like what we're trying to do with the whole world out there is something that he's doing naturally and from a very clean slate. That's so cool. Right, yeah, it is cool. And it is challenging too. My oldest, my middle son is probably my easiest child. I hate that term about some children being hard and some children be, I mean, kids are kids and everybody is different. But I used to say if I could have had 20 of him, I would have, I would have just kept going because he was, he's just this amazing, calm, peaceful, happy little dude. And my oldest, you know, if we're talking spectrum, is my hellfire and has been since the day they were born. When they are triggered, when they have their outbursts, it's very violent. It's very verbally abusive. It's very scary. And it always has been, even when they were five, you know, when they were nine, threatening to hurt themselves and threatening to hurt us. It's hard. And so having my other two boys bear witness to this and not wanting to use Um, The fact that they're like autistic and they're overstimulated or all of these things as an excuse for violent, scary behavior, but also trying to explain that has been really, really tricky and um, trying to make sure that my younger kids don't mimic that behavior. Like that's not what we do when we're angry and it's not what we do when we're overstimulated has been pretty challenging, but all in all, we are managing. And I feel feel like something I constantly have to remind myself is every single child is different, regardless of their neurodiversity, regardless of their physical limitations or their disability. Like every kid is different. And I feel like you can't parent all of your children the same way. You know, my oldest is going to have limitations and expectations that look way different than my youngest. You know, and I feel like as parents going in, you know, when we're pregnant stuff, we always have this image in our head. And this can be something that's really hard to let go of how it's going to be, right? Mm -hmm. How it's going to be when the kids are born. In your head, you don't generally think of having a child that is sick or having a child with disabilities or having a child who's autistic or who operates. You know, we really just kind of grow up with this like very fluffy image. And the second we have that baby, that image gets popped. Mm -hmm. And when I was working with birthing mothers and parents, I always tried to talk about this. When you're talking about preparing for parenthood, you read all these books and you buy all the things and you think you got it. And then you bring that baby home and you realize it's crazy to be overwhelming. And a lot of people, they like were mourn this idea of what they thought parenthood would like, or they will more, you know, they, I use that word very lightly, but they're just like, it wasn't what I expected. This is super hard. And the parenthood is hard. 
we sp- a lot of time we spend not knowing what we're doing and just navigating and figuring out and finding hacks. And I think that's why this podcast is so important, you know, is listening to other people's hacks or perspectives can sometimes really open up like freedom and happiness and sometimes acceptance. I've met parents that sometimes just had to accept that this is your child and it's awesome. And yeah, it's going to be hard, but I know some neurotypical kids that are really hard too. just like focusing on that acceptance. And, you know, because my oldest was, once again, I'm going to say my most challenging child right off the bat, I like earned my coat of arms, you know, parenting this kid. And so when my boys came along, I was just like, it, every child is so different you know, and, you know, my youngest being neurotypical and just being like born into this world that is so I like to say colorful, I don't like to say like, neurodiverse or chaotic, you just have a really colorful house was, is what it is. But as far as it being difficult, I learned very early on that, you know, I was just like, Oh, the baby's gonna sleep in the crib. No, baby slept with me, you know, like all these things that you really think and, you know, parenting every child individually, based on their needs and not necessarily my expectations, you know, and um, giving him the freedom to thrive. Like my middle son, like looking back, I always knew that he was autistic. He spoke in his own language, and I knew what he was saying, but nobody else. And that was until he was like four or five. And it wasn't until we moved to Colorado that people are like, have you gotten him in? I wasn't urgent about going in and getting a diagnosis because he was happy and he was thriving in his own way in his own time it wasn't him who had problems it wasn't our house who was worried it was when i would bring him to relatives and they're like something's wrong you know so we didn't rush into a diagnosis for him because it wasn't that kind of situation he got uh diagnosed when he was in the first grade and everything made sense i'm like yeah we kind of we kind of already knew that you know but he's like happy and he's doing awesome and you know in school we have occupational therapy and speech therapy which has really really helped um he's had problems in school with just getting overly frustrated escaping to his own little world and missing the thing and being able to sit still and trying new things. He's a perfectionist. If he doesn't think he can do it right, he doesn't want to try it at all. And socially, obviously, you know, problems like that. But it was my oldest that I had him in for a psyche valve at five because I knew that something was different. And that psyche valve was inconclusive. And so we just kind of went along parenting the best we could, which honestly felt very frantic and scary with my oldest. And how's that going now? Same? The past three years have been very, very hard. They started puberty really, really young. About at 10 years old, when they were throwing a fit over me not getting the right kind of cereal, because it's the little things that end up being big explosions, I was like, that's it. And we got them in for another psychological evaluation. I had a really hard time finding somebody to do a psychological evaluation on my child because of how really not great the children mental health field is right now. My insurance wouldn't cover it. I had to pay three grand out of pocket. And we got the diagnosis of autism then. And we started. And so they started with a therapist. And having that diagnosis was kind of like, it was reassuring in a way. I was just like, I knew it. We just didn't like pinpoint. And sometime with uh, soon females, like born females, they don't display in ways that are necessarily typical. 
you know, I grew up in the nineties and, and unless you were like nonverbal or savant, they weren't throwing around that diagnosis. They didn't know a lot about it. And so right. because of that, I feel like there's just pockets of people that have gone through their life underdiagnosed or not diagnosed at all feeling yeah. like, you know, going, I mean, it's, it's a big problem, but we got that diagnosis. And at 10 is when they started talking about not feeling like they were a sheep talking about feeling like they were a different gender identity. So we focused on that too. Like first it's like, is this just a thing? Is this really just a thing? Like, is it a phase? But it didn't matter either way to us. Like we want our kid to be happy and healthy and I will call you whatever pronouns or whatever name you want me to. I am supporting you. We just want you to thrive. Right. And that's been consistent. You know, they are non-binary. So they are they, them, and they go by clay. They were born with a different name. They go by clay. And that has helped a lot of their mental health. But suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts started to get bigger and bigger over the course of the past mm -hmm. year. And I was desperately trying to find somebody to help us figure out what was going on and to bring medication into the equation. And I found that everywhere I went, I took our insurance psychiatrist to talk about meds or either, either an inpatient or outpatient to get a better diagnosis to see what was going on, didn't take our insurance or had six month waiting lists. And right. I was at the point that I, they, everybody was just telling me to call 911 and take them to the emergency room for a psych hold. And I was right. just like, my 11-year-old, you want me to take my 11-year-old for a psych hold or pay out of pocket or be on this long waiting list? And it got to the point that they started, that we had to switch to get on Medicaid, get help, you know, because I wasn't willing to wait anymore. And my ex-husband is 100% disabled veteran. And so we used his income, got them on Medicaid. And within two weeks, they were on medication wow. and actually getting weekly therapy. Yeah. Is that making a difference? Yes. They go, we got them on meds. In January, we noticed they started self-harming. So it was like, it takes a while to figure out the right kind of medication. Right. And, and so when we noticed the self-harm, we did put them in a stabilization unit for about seven days. It's really hard as a parent when you go to providers trying to describe to them what's going on at home. You know, they only get to see like a window of what's going on. And when you have autistic heads, at least especially mine, I feel like one of the deterioration of their mental health was they were a professional masker to put on this mask. And masking is really unhealthy and it's exhausting. And so we put them in to the seven day hold. It was really great because they have 24 hour care. They had lots and lots of therapy and other people were able to see what was going on at home. And they added in some medication that has been really helpful. We doubled up on therapy. We doubled up on family therapy. And what we did on our home front is we stopped trying to control their behavior and instead try to control the triggers. And this mm -hmm. has been absolutely groundbreaking for our house. And it was a shift in perspective for me. I was always just like, you're the behavior. They're being violent. They're threatening to do scary things. They're screaming at my seven-year-old. And then wanting to fix the behavior rather than just that little change in perspective, like, no, 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 like, what are their triggers? And by doing that and them learning about their own triggers, they're able to self-advocate for themselves. They're oh, able cool. to be like, okay, like loud noises can't do it. Their little brother, huge trigger because he's got a very loud, high-pitched seven-year-old neurotypical boy energy, you know, which is normal. Like he's just, you know, bouncing off the walls and doing what kids do. It's really right. hard for them. 
And so me and my ex-husband, we did have 50-50 custody. So the kids would go with him half the week, with me half the week. And we switched it around so that my oldest, Clay, isn't around their brothers as much. They're only, rather than being with their brothers 100% of the time, they're only with their brothers three days a week. So they have more alone time with us. So they're not in their room as much. So they're out with us. So they're not having that crazy stimulation. We pulled them from school completely. You know, like school was always really hard for them. They would do great at school. Like they were an awesome student. The teachers had no idea what was going on but they would come home and lose their mind. I heard somebody describe masking as like holding a can of soda and shaking it up all day long. All day long, you're just shaking that soda and you come home and you open it and it freaking explodes because it's like holding your breath all day long, not being able to just relax and be yourself. And that's what was happening. And when COVID hit and they got pulled from school, they got pulled from the fifth grade. So they didn't get to finish fifth grade didn't get to learn about going to the sixth grade middle school and having six teachers from one. And that kind of shift for autistic kids is massive. Like going from six teachers to teacher, having to go to different classes, like the routine and, and switch schools. And so when it was time to start virtual learning, they, virtual learning, just they have to be in person. They were off in la la land, didn't take it seriously. And then when it was time to go back in person, their anxiety and social anxiety, and also for going for so long without having to mask, they couldn't. That schools opened up again and they were back in school that it was a rapid slide into self-harm and us having to make really big decisions. So we pulled them from school completely. And so they, we've just been kind of unschooling. They have become an amazing baker. We've been encouraging hobbies that they have, like drawing and reading and just really focusing like mental health is more important than education at times because what we were doing to them was obviously putting them in a place that was scary. And so they're starting an official online school in August that we're already like kind of preparing for. And it's gonna be more involved where I'm doing more of the work, which I'm totally willing to do. But right now they've had a couple instances of relapse into self-harm, their bird died. And it's just, the more I learn about that, it's more of a, like a release. But for the most part, the improvement we've noticed since we changed our perspective on controlling the behavior or preventing the triggers has been amazing. Our house is a calmer, safer place because we were spending the majority of the time walking on glass. It was traumatic. It's caused trauma for us all. And so now when they do get triggered and we see that explosive, violent, scary stuff come out, we're just like, ooh, because we were so conditioned before it became our normal, which was really hard and scary. And so, and also they're, they're so much better advocating. They're like, mom, it's getting a little too noisy. Mom, I need to go to my room. Something that I did looking back that I think was really harmful, especially for autistic kids, is when they would do something wrong, I would take away their electronics. I would take away their phone. And for autistic kids, like that is a way of self-regulation. And so I don't do that anymore. I have safe limits. It shuts off at 1230. It's turned back on at 730. But it's a tool for them to regulate. And so it's like, you know, not necessarily more about helping our children changing their behavior of more than like giving them an environment they can thrive in and get that confidence and learn to advocate and learn, you know, stims that help. My oldest is an auditory stimmer and I didn't realize they were an auditory stimmer. I just thought that they were funny, 
until the past year. And since they are five years old, you ask them a question, they'll respond with chicken nugget, you know, or some like bizarre words. That, and I was just like, you're funny. Or say hi to grandma and they'd say earwax, but they would get stuck on a certain word for months and months and months and they'd fit it in. And whenever they get nervous, they will just repeat this word. We didn't realize until this past year that it's verbal stimming and we encourage stimming in our house. Like, you know, regulate yourself, do what you have to do to stay in a very awesome place where you can thrive. How about you? Have you, have you found out what you need to do for you to, cause you, you sound very involved and very passionate. I love hearing how you are involved in your family's life. It's inspiring. But how do you take care of you throughout all this? Oh my gosh. It's so important, isn't it? It's yes. so important. And I learned this, you know, the hard way. Cause I do like when I became a mom, I got super into everything baby. I started baby wearing and cloth diapering and, you know, went to all of the groups. So then I became a doula and a monitress and started attending births. Like I just embraced that's my like ADHD. Like you give me something I like and I learn everything about it. But, and then my ex-husband was in the army. So I was running the chip solo. Like he was deployed in Afghanistan and I, you know, was at home by myself in North Carolina with not a lot of help and not a lot of breaks. If you are trying to help kids prevent overstimulation and burnout, you yourself cannot have to try to prevent overstimulation and burnout. And taking breaks and having self-care, whether it be little, whether it be big, just anything that you have that's for you, that's not necessarily kid related. You know what I mean? It's so important that you have to keep your own mental health in check as well. Luckily I'm divorced, but because my, and me and my ex-husband, I'm not, we co-parent, like we co-parent like bosses, like our marriage didn't work out, but we continue to raise our kids together. And my partner, Michael, who lives with me. So I have a solid group of people behind my back. So we get breaks from the kids. It used to be three days a week. We had breaks from the kids. And now it's only about two days because we switched the schedule around. So Clay isn't with their younger brothers as much to help them. But really just for me is finding stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the kids. You know, finding stuff that is nurturing myself as a woman and myself as a mother. And that can be really hard depending on the kind of support you have and the kind of needs your child has. I know with, you know, I have special needs moms that have kids with cerebral palsy that have terminal children, like the constant needs that your children require, obviously is going to look different for everybody. But what isn't different is your need for respite, your need to, you know, I started therapy, I had to like living and it's so funny. It's something that I've been really focusing on the past year. It's like I grew up in a household where I was walking on glass with very angry, violent, scary people. And then so to all of a sudden have my child be putting off that same energy, even though they're a child, that was my reaction was like, it'd be really traumatic. And so me, myself, having a therapist and having taking breaks and taking that vacation or just taking that bubble bath or taking that nap but finding what fills your cup and filling it. Because if you're running on empty and you're just pouring onto your children, you get to a point where you hit a wall and the quality of the parenting that goes down, the quality of your life goes down and you end up resenting your kids or your life or your situation. Mm -hmm. And that's, and then nobody thrives if mama ain't happy, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so just finding, um, finding people 
you know, a community, um, other people that maybe have children with the same disorders or disabilities as yours. Just having that support is what I've had to do, you know. Yeah, you covered so much there. Like, I love how you talked about taking responsibility for, you know, how things would roll in your house. And I think we don't like to talk about it so much, but a lot of times, you know, I found myself even in the past wanting to try and change something within one of my kids so that things could get better. And right. that, is, that is like the exact opposite of what needed to be done in that situation. Right. So it's taking responsibility to come up. I love how you, with the triggers and finding different ways so that your kids can thrive and then also taking responsibility and caring for yourself and caring for myself. I mean, those two things are game changers, you know, if, right. if someone's out there trying to get their kid to change and isn't taking care of themselves, I would venture to say that they're struggling pretty hardcore in their life right now. And in their, you know, kind of mental health versus the opposite. And then I see a lot of positive passion that comes through you. And so um, I'm sure it's inspiring other people out there, not just me, but it is inspiring. So you should um, congratulate yourself for that. Oh, thank you. You know, it's much easier to change yourself and your perspective than it is to change other people, including your children. There is such ableist views regarding being you know, atypical or disabilities and stuff. And we kind of grew up in this society that looked as if it isn't normal, it's wrong. And a lot of our expectations, speaking right. for myself, before I had kids of what my family would look like, was very ableist. Like they're going to be healthy and they're going to be like me and they're going to do, you know what I mean? Which is ridiculous because every person is different. And really kind of confronting those deep seated, like ableist, like, no, I want my child to be this way. You know what I mean? Or still trying to make my child appear neurotypical or be neurotypical. You know what I mean? Rather than embracing how colorful and amazing their mind is and not being ashamed of your stimming and advocating for yourself and knowing your triggers and owning, you know, I want my children to thrive and to be confident right. in who they are, not be ashamed, not be something that they have to hide. And I don't really want to raise my children to conform to make society comfortable either. You know, I want them to change the world because it needs to be changed. And so that started in our home with me confronting those old ideas of what healthy and normal are supposed to look like, which is ridiculous when you really think about it. You know, right. for us, healthy and normal is everybody thriving in their own way and trying to keep as harmonious, happy of an environment as possible. And with three different kids, with three different, you know, it can be difficult. but what happened when I did change that perspective and we just started focusing and like owning the triggers, like it's cool that being touched on your arm makes you feel weird. We just won't do that. You know what I mean? Like their confidence increased, you know, they, and when their confidence increased, their happiness increased. And then the house got safer, you know, and then everybody was happier. The second that click, I just had to change that perspective in myself. Have you ever gotten any pressure from, outside people to like put so-and-so in a home or kind of split things up at all? No, I feel like there was that pressure to get my son in and get him diagnosed and what's wrong with his speech and why is he talking that way and you need to do something about that. 
but ultimately it was when he started first grade and it was affecting his education that we were just like, okay, now it's time, you know, but with my oldest and, you know, the, here's the thing is the judgment and the shaming that comes from other people, just being a parent period is pretty gnarly. I was very much involved in mom groups and support groups and the mom shaming is just horrific, but that extends to just human beings. And, you know, and when you, have a three-year-old at the grocery store and all of a sudden they have an epic free out and are screaming and crying and you have people judging you and thinking well if this was my kid this is what i would do and you know they're watching you and then you start to panic and we all question if we're doing the right thing and if we're raising our kids right like that's a lot man that's really hard so sometimes i get awesome advice sometimes i get handed amazing resources and sometimes it's people looking in thinking they know how to fix my family or that my family needs to be fixed. And then you just kind of let that slide on, you know, to, I feel like the most, I don't know the judgments or the urgency or the advice from other people was regarding definitely my oldest because they were able to mask when we had company over, but my mom lived with me for a short period of time and they would like, they would have this epic, scary freak out and say, I wish you were dead, like horrible, horrible things come out of my child's mouth. And then the eyes turn to me, like, how could you let your child behave this way? You know, or, or, you know, even in my mind, when they started experimenting with their gender identity, and I, you know, asked my friends and family to use different pronouns and change their name, I then felt some judgment from that. Like, I can't believe you're allowing your child to do this. Or me just deep dark in my head thinking that because I do have a child that has suicidal ideation and, you know, can get so violent and self-harms at 12 that people are going to think it was because of my parenting that I wasn't doing a good enough job or maybe I gave them too much. You know, there's like so much judgment that can happen. And ultimately, we all make mistakes, but this is my family. And I know my children and I know what they need and I supply them with those needs. And I don't really keep the company of people that I feel that energy from. Yeah, and I think that's smart. And the reason I asked that question was because I received a lot of pressure and still do to a point, uh, having seven kids within six years of age, a lot of people all the way to my close, close family feel like it would allow the typical kids to explore and have more if, you know, so-and-so wasn't here, right? Like if you pick up your time, right? You have the constraints. So have you ever thought about placing? And, and I've gotten a lot of pressure. So I just, I was curious and I don't, I don't judge anybody who does to put their kid wherever they feel their kid is best suited. uh, By all means go for it. So. Right. Anyway, that's why I asked. Any aha moments along the way that you kind of shared a lot of them. So any aha moments you want to share with Naked Parent Nation? You know, in the past year with the deterioration of the mental health of my oldest, you know, of course, I'm in lots of autistic parent groups and whatever. But what something that's been really amazing for me and my perspective and just my knowledge of a neurotypical world and autistic people is joining groups that are run by autistic adults and listening to them. And they're amazing. 
really, they are working really, really hard to advocate for autistic youth and just listening, you know, listening to their perspective and special needs or autistic groups. And I found this before I even started like listening to autistic voices or being aware that there was that resource out there that parents with children with special needs or with disabilities or with autism, they almost become that, like that becomes a part of their identity. I'm an autistic mom, you know, with the bumper stickers and the things and the that, like they very much, that becomes them. And that actually does a lot of harm to their kid. You know, and that's always kind of something that bothered me. Um, and I actually seen that with the chronic illness groups that I'm in for my KRI malformation and my disabilities, that people become their illness and become their, like, that's their identity. And it never right. sat right with me. And listening to autistic adults talking about autistic children and what the stims really are and the best way to approach this and to not try to train our children to be neurotypical. And it was so many aha moments just by shutting my mouth and listening. You know, I'm like, that makes so much sense. In a lot of ways, it was actually really validating because I have always tried to parent not trying to fit my children into a round hole. Do you know what I mean? Like I have always tried to parent my children based on my children's needs and not necessarily my ideal behavior and ideal world of what I think my children are you know, supposed to be. But, you know, for as far as autism triggers and that, like, really just listening to these autistic adults has changed quite a lot in my house of my understanding of autism. And I'm very grateful for them. They work really hard to advocate for our kids. And we just sometimes we just need to take a bat seat and listen. Well, that's super cool. That's super cool. And I think the quote that you shared which I totally agree with is whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. Is that your yeah. quote that you share? That and is that, my quote, Henry Ford. It's one of my well, favorites. Well, yeah, yeah, I think that's the quote. That was the quote that you decided to share. And I think that goes so well with what you just were talking about, about these autistic mom or whatever, you know, all of a sudden, whatever you see, whatever you believe, you know, you are. So, and then that creates these identities for people that, are based on what, you know? Right. Each person with special needs or each person with disability or each person who is not neurotypical, there's still people. They are not like, my oldest is not autism. My middle child is not Chiari. You know, I am not my disability. I am somebody else. And it's a part of who I am. It isn't necessarily my identity. We're so much more than that. We're just humans that maybe operate a little bit differently or humans that have different needs to, you know, get by, but we're all individuals. I've said, I hate you and wish you were dead to the people I love the most, you know, when I was a little kid. I mean, that's not, you know, I, I mean, so. Right. How hard to be labeled when based on your worst behavior and your worst moments, you know, right. like that, right. that's, that's not okay either so how about some uh, quick one answer or one sentence responses to a few questions to give the listeners out there some quick responses Are you down for it sure let's go all right what's the best advice you've received um to trust my gut share a personal habit that contributes to your success probably my determination <laughs> i feel the determination yeah. <laughs> Do you have a top resource recommendation to share with other parents? 
you know, I'm just going to go back to the group that I found that has been so great. It's a Facebook group. It's called Autism Inclusivity, and it's run by autistic adults. And it's been really helpful specifically for, for autism, for my autistic kids. I love that one. I'm going to check it out. What's the next thing on your list that you want to add for your own individual well-being? Gosh, I think just like continuing to help my children thrive and continuing to do things that are nurturing to me. I think I told you that my partner runs a nonprofit. It's called HeartCrate. You can check out more information at heartcrate.org. But essentially what um, we do is when kids are pulled from their home and taken into foster care, they they leave everything behind. Uh, their, their identity, their individuality, all of their favorite toys and books and genres. And you know how kids find that one thing and that becomes, you know, like my son, it was Thomas the Train, and then it was like obsessed with Mario. They have to leave all that behind. And generally they're given like, you know, like plushies and a blanket and a journal or in coloring books, like really generic things, but atop of the trauma that they are coming from, but also the trauma of having to leave their home and placed. And so what we do is we give a survey to their new foster parents, their new caregivers to fill out with the child, asking questions about the kid. Like, what is your favorite video game? What are your interests? Do you like this and that? And then from there, we build a custom heart crate box filled with all of their favorite things. And also maybe some things they haven't thought of that kind of go along with their favorite things. Like if they love we're big geeks in my house. So, you know, do they love make believe? Well, here's a beginner's guide to role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons, you know? Yeah, it's been really awesome. And we've been around for about two years. We're currently seeking out corporate sponsorship. Our goal is to bring this nationwide. Our goal right now is to get every kid pulled from their home in Colorado a heart rate. So that's a lot of really awesome stuff that we're doing at home that sometimes is, I don't want to say a distraction from some maybe the hardships of you know raising special needs kids but it's important that you have lots of stuff that's just not 100 percent all about your kids like that's how you're going to grow as a person too and if it's other things to help other kids then that's amazing also but you know just going back to self-care it's really important that you are continuing to grow as a human being and then you will grow as a woman or a father and also as a mother, and then everybody is happier. And a lot of times, maybe it takes doing something different that doesn't have to do with your kids. You know, that sounds so cool. That sounds so yeah. cool. And I have to tell you, the things that people I've interviewed on this show are doing behind the scenes are so cool. Like everybody's kind of there's a lot of people that are taking their little angle at supporting the new world that we're building because that's what it is. It's a new world. It's not about special needs and typical. It's just evolving as the world evolves, in my opinion. So, yeah, and it's really amazing. And can you give us the URL again so we can check it out? Or yeah, yeah. it's HeartCrate and we're www.heartcrate.org is our website. And we're really awesome. So, you know, check it out. Like I said, we're completely crowdfunded right now. We are talking to a couple of streamers and corporations and actively seeking out grants. So we kind of had to take a break during COVID just because everything was crazy. But the past couple months, my partner has been full steam ahead. And we're really hoping in the next two years, we can bring it to cities near you to hopefully help foster kids or kids pulled from their home find their new identity and let them know that there is people out there that love them. I'll make sure to get that in the show notes so that if there's a corporate sponsor out there listening, 
and you want to be a part of this awesome venture, you'll uh, know where to reach out. Yep. Support um, kids in care. That's what we say. My uh, partner is a social worker. And so he was working in a residential treatment facility for children with mental illness. And a lot of the times they were children who couldn't be put into foster care because of their mental state. Wow. They were very high needs kids. And he was noticing a lot of them didn't have this, like, they either lost that identity or they didn't have it to begin with. So he started out teaching, you know, these kids how to play Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons and getting them interested in all this kind of geeky culture stuff that's really fulfilling and it's really awesome. And that's when they, and they saw these kids left with nothing who they missed their plushie that they got left behind and they're given something else or they go into a home and they are expected to adapt to this new family's identity. And a lot of times they do and that individuality gets taken away. Mm. And so we're just trying to fill this hole that we think is really important. That's very cool. I really appreciate the time you have. Do you have any um, final guidance or advice you'd like to leave with Naked Parent Nation? You know, I feel like getting old ideas, constantly growing in your perspective is so important. Being adaptable. You know, I used to tell my clients in birth that the only thing predictable about birth is that it's unpredictable. And the only thing predictable about parenthood is that it's unpredictable. And our job as parents is not to create these perfect humans. It's to let these like imperfect, amazing humans live their best life. That's our job. And whatever, it might not look like what you thought it would. It might not look like your neighbor Joe thinks it should like, but everybody is thriving and living the best life they can. Then you know you're doing it's your job. Brianne, you are an inspiration to me. It was an inspiring conversation today. And I hope we get to maybe do this again down the road. And yes, uh, absolutely. Thank you so much for what you're doing. It's really important. It's so reassuring to parents to hear bits of people's stories that they identify with and then to hear how other people are thriving and be able to take bits and pieces and apply it or maybe hear an aha moment like I did that just has changed everything in my house you know yes so thank you so much for being with us thank you this concludes our show for today and i'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts if you'd like to be part of the naked parent nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed there's no better way to help than by subscribing rating and reviewing the show on itunes itunes highlights the shows based on these metrics And the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes and we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long.